Hi, this is Ellie Fishman, and welcome to our latest vodcast. And this is going to be on Ehlers Danlos Syndrome. And it's an uncommon entity, but I thought it's a very good discussion because it shows you a lot of what CTA can do across the entire body. And so it's a good example of really how valuable CTA has become and how. We're so good at picking up even the smallest of aneurysms. And this was an RSNA exhibit, which soon will be in press. And Linda Chu, one of our residents, was the first author. So it's a really good uh, production, and hopefully I think you're going to enjoy it. So we're going to look at first what is vascular Ehlers Danlos Syndrome, what's the spectrum of vascular anomalies that we can expect to see, what are the preferred techniques for evaluation of these vascular anomalies, and what's current management in terms of surgery for these patients. So some basic facts. Ehlers-Danlos is a group of clinically and genetically heterogeneous heritable uh, connective tissue disorders. It's characterized by joint hypermobility, skin hyperextensibility, and tissue fragility. There are six forms of Ehlers-Danlos syndrome currently recognized, and disease-related symptoms are based on each different of the six uh, types. Vascular Ehlers Danlos, which we're going to speak about today, was formerly known as Ehlers Danlos Types 4 or arterial echomotic type. It's autosomal dominant. It's heterozygous mutations in the COL3A1 gene encoding for type 3 procollagen. There's extensive tissue fragility predisposing to premature arterial, intestinal, or uterine rupture, and a very classic article in the New England Journal of Medicine. The diagnostic criteria. Um, any two of or more of the major criteria, thin translucent skin, arterial intestinal uterine fragility or rupture, extensive bruising, characteristic facial appearance. Those are major criteria. And minor criteria might be acrogenaria, which is a slender face, sunken cheeks, thin nose and lips, barely can pronounce it, hypermobility of small joints, tendon and muscle rupture, talipes equivaris, AV, carotid cavernous sinus fistula, pneumothorax, pneumohemothorax, gingival recession, positive family history, sudden death in a close relative are all possible uh, minor criteria. The patient population, in terms of our study, 26 patients with vascular Danlos underwent CT angiography. We found a total of 66 lesions present in 19 of the 26 patients. Now, one of the things with Ehlers-Danlos, patients develop vascular lesions at a relatively early age. And you can see in our series, which is a good example, aneurysms, dissections, occlusion, and stenosis were all possibilities. And what you can see is the distribution frequently involves multiple vascular segments, though it can be isolated to a single segment. And the most frequent sites of involvement were the abdominal visceral arteries, the iliacs, and the thoracic and abdominal aorta. And so an example, here's a case of a patient with a type B dissection and aneurysm. You can see the type B dissection, look at the thoracic aorta, nicely shown a 3D mapping. There's also an aneurysm of the right common iliac artery. So again, two vascular territories involved. Another patient, a 30-year-old, this patient has a celiac artery dissection, has an aneurysm of the celiac artery, has an aneurysm of the proper hepatic artery. Now, one thing I will tell you is many of these small aneurysms, like this hepatic artery aneurysm, are missed if you only look at the axial imaging. So it's really the 3D mapping where we pick up all of these lesions. So often, when you're only looking at the, uh, the regular uh, axial images, you're going to miss things. 
Now, another example. Here's a patient with three short segment left external iliac artery dissections, very nicely shown in this example. Now, at times you have isolated vascular lesions. Here's a patient with a dilated main pulmonary artery. So pulmonary artery dilatation is another of the findings we can't see. If you look in this patient, the aorta as well as mesenteric vessels all look normal. Now, in terms of abdominal visceral arteries, it's the most frequent site of involvement of our experience. It can involve multiple abdominal visceral arteries. You can have short segment aneurysms or dissections. And I mentioned these can be difficult to see on axial imaging, but easy to see on 3D mapping. NPR and 3D rendering allows for better visualization of these visceral arteries. And here's just a nice example. If you're looking at this case, particularly with the 3D map, multiple hepatic artery aneurysms, Hepatic artery aneurysms are relatively uncommon, but look in this case, there's at least three of them easily defined. Or in this case, look at the splenic artery. There are multiple fusiform splenic artery aneurysms, nearly up to about 2.8 centimeters in size. And again, look at the coronal and volume rendered views, very nicely showing you these multiple aneurysms. Another set of patients, two cases, short, subtle, uh, segment SMA lesions on the axial imaging, but look how nicely the true and false lumens are defined on the volume rendered images in case one, and in case two, the dissection flap and distance from SMA origin nicely displayed on MIP. So again, you want to be very careful. It's very easy to miss smaller lesions, particularly in the mesenteric vessels. And you can see it very nicely on the arrowed images. Look at this case, a very subtle left renal artery aneurysm. Again, easy to overlook on axial imaging, but look at the 3D. Look how you can see the aneurysm just at the bifurcation of the hilum, as well as additional aneurysms in some of the branch vessels of the renal artery. So in this case, there are really multiple left renal artery aneurysms. Now, it's not just in the abdomen. You can see head and neck vascular involvement as well, and here are two cases. First case on your left, a 24-year-old female with a fusiform right internal carotid artery aneurysm. And on your right, case two, a 19-year-old with a long segment narrowing of the left internal carotid, suggestive of chronic dissection. Now, we also can see complications. Complications would include spontaneous aneurysm rupture, progression of pre-existing aneurysms, development of new aneurysms, and dissections and vascular occlusions. So these patients really need to be watched carefully. Here's a nice example. This is a 42-year-old female with spontaneous rupture of splenic artery aneurysm with hemoperitoneum. Here's another very nicely shown on these images. Again, multiple splenic artery aneurysms. You can see very nicely the blood near the liver as well as near the spleen. Here's another case. This patient, his initial presentation was rupture of the right iliac artery. This required a fem-fem bypass for revascularization. Now you can see evidence of a left common iliac aneurysm and a left external iliac artery dissection. So just because you see one thing and you treat the patient one time, it's important to recognize they can have multiple new findings. Now here's another example. Here's a patient with splenic artery progression Aneurysm detected uh, in 2004 and three years later, you can see the aneurysm has enlarged over a three-year period. And enlargement is often a concern for us for potential rupture over time, and so aggressive management is necessary. Look at this patient. Now, this aneurysm, so in this case, a pseudoaneurysm, can 
evolve very quickly. This is over a couple week period. The patient has previous splenic artery aneurysm embolization. You can see the patient now has hepatic artery pseudoaneurysms with spontaneous rupture and hemoperitoneum, which occurred over a two week period. So again, these diseases can be very, very aggressive. And so if patients have new symptoms, you better be concerned about development of new processes. Now, what else? In terms of management, optimal management of these patients requires a multidisciplinary approach through medical genetics, vascular surgery, radiology, and genetic counseling. Initial imaging should include an echo, carotid ultrasound, and CTA or MRA of the chest and abdomen, and serial follow-up examinations are necessary to monitor progression of these vascular lesions. Traditionally, vascular complications have been managed conservatively due to increased rates of uh, intraoperative and postoperative complications. Operative management was typically reserved for patients with life-threatening events. However, recent reports suggest that perioperative complications may not be as high as previously thought, and elective open and endovascular repair can be performed with good outcomes. So we're really thinking about being more aggressive in these patients. Now, it's important for the surgeon to be aware of the diagnosis before surgery. They need to know it's not a simple aneurysm repair. These are much more complicated cases. You need to select the simplest surgical approach to avoid tissue injury, employ atraumatic tissue handling techniques, transcatheter coil embolization has been successful in treatment of aneurysms and ruptured arteries, and there are a few case reports on successful endovascular repair of aortic dissection and aneurysms, though no long-term safety data on routine use of stents has yet been published. And here's a nice example, pre-op showing bilateral iliac artery aneurysms. And this is a very good case. This focal kind of balloon appearance is something I've only seen with Ehlers-Danlos. Here it is beautiful intraoperative correlation, and here's the postoperative study. Very nice example. Another case, preoperative and postop. You can see right common iliac artery occlusion, which, as well as a triple A. The patient was treated with a fem-fem bypass and underwent successful repair of this larging abdominal aortic aneurysm. Another example, successful embolization of a fusiform splenic artery aneurysm. Again, embolization can be a very, very good way of managing these patients. Or in this case, in a patient with a ruptured hepatic pseudoaneurysm, selective hepatic arteriography with coil embolization was the treatment of choice. Article very nicely shown again on the CT, showing good correlation with the angiogram. Article by Ung in Lancet uh, this past year, until recently, there was no effective medical treatment that can decrease the risk of vascular complications in patients with vascular Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Uh, in the publication by Ung, prospective randomized controlled trial demonstrated a threefold reduction in arterial rupture or dissection in patients treated with ciliparol, a cardioselective beta blocker. So a lot more is being known and a lot more will be done and learned in the future. So some conclusions, vascular Ehlers-Danlos syndrome is an autosomal dominant disorder caused by mutation in collagen synthesis. Excessive tissue fragility predisposes patients to premature arterial, intestinal, and uterine rupture. Patients are typically young with multiple vascular lesions in multiple territories. Common sites of involvement, visceral arteries, iliacs, and aorta. Imaging is critical. CTA is an excellent uh, quick, 
easy study that covers multiple vascular territories is excellent in this scenario. You can do low-dose studies, very nice with 3D mapping, which becomes critical, as you saw for many of the cases. Although vascular lesions have been managed conservatively in the past, a recent report suggests that more aggressive management gives better outcomes. Going forward, potentially uh, treatment with cardioselective beta blockers may decrease the risk of these vascular complications. But again, optimal imaging requires significant radiology uh, input, as hopefully I've shown you in this case and the series of cases we've looked at today. Here are a number of references that may be of help to you. And with that, I hope you enjoyed the lecture. And again, the focus of CTA in vascular imaging is really nicely shown by this study. And with that, have a great day.